My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. I'm going to preach this morning from the reading uh, from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. We're going to talk about life on the vine. Life on the vine. And some of you who are really into wine will probably be like, yes, finally. <laughs> He's preaching on wine. Kind of, right? Kind of. So a few years ago, I really got into what's called Reformed theology. And Reformed theology is actually part of the history of, of, of this church. Um, we're, you know, we're a congregational church, but this is also a, a union church between the Lutherans and the Reformed many, many years ago. Uh, and Reformed theology, the reason why I, I, I found myself holding on to it so, as tightly as I had was I had been uh, working for a megachurch and going to school at a, at a college there, and I had been there for a long time. I was working for people in the ministry, and I got really burnt out. I came back to the States, you know, and my, my faith was not in tatters, but it was hurting. It was hurting. And if you know anything about Pentecostalism, if you know anything about the charismatic renewal movements, the revivalism, that's sort of my background, um, you, you'll, you'll know that they're not doctrine is not super important because what's seen as being the most important is like this personal experience of the spirit as demonstrated through demonstrative uh, acts like speaking in tongues and miraculous signs and so forth. But I don't think that, and we do need to seek the presence and the power of, of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but I don't think that that's sustainable. And I found in Reformed theology something I could really attach myself to because there was a lot of good in it, a lot of, of, of reach, d- deep biblical insight. And, and I stumbled across R.C. Sproul's What is Reformed Theology when I worked at a bookstore, and uh, it helped a lot. And then uh, fast forward to a few years later, I was uh, working on the pastoral staff at another church here in Pennsylvania, and uh, I was leading a young adult group. And we were talking about God's glory. And in Reformed Theology, God's glory is of supreme importance in that all God does brings glory to himself, whether it's the salvation of some and the damnation of others. Everything leads to him being glorified in either his love or in his justice. One of the girls who was in attendance then blurted out, this sounds like Calvinism. And since I was busted, I said, yes, it was. And then I proceeded to explain why I thought at the time it was biblical and and, Calvin famously wrote this in in the Institutes, God preordained for his own glory and the display of his attributes of mercy and justice, a part of the human race without any merit of their own to eternal salvation and another part in just punishment of their sin to eternal damnation. God does this, Calvin believed, for his own glory. So I don't really hold to those reformed distinctives anymore. I think they served a purpose for me to help get me to where I am today. And I don't see this idea of God being glorified in the damnation of sinners as something being accurately reflected and on display in the scriptures. 
but there are things that do bring God glory, and we understand. We have to understand how doctrines don't just develop on their own. You know, the, this, this doctrine that Calvin talked about was developed because during the time of the Reformation, it was believed that God's glory was being eclipsed by something else. So, so any homage given to a saint or to like a holy place was seen as detracting from bringing God glory. And so this is kind of how that all, that all develops. But the gospel reading from John, I think shows us something a little bit different because it actually says exactly what it is that brings God glory. And what brings God glory is our abiding in Christ. So pretty much every commentator that I, that I read on this when I, when I was studying and preparing talks about how the vine being spoken here is, is wine, right? So when you want to make wine, and I found this on Home Depot, right, .com. I was, I was like, really, Home Depot? You're going to teach us how to grow wine? But yeah, they actually have a section, how to grow your own wine. Oh, how to grow your own grapes wine. Wouldn't it be great if you could just grow your own wine? You just like throw a bottle of like Samillon and, and, uh, in, the, in the ground and cover it up and then a beautiful tree. I know Jeanette would love that. <laughs> so when you want to make wine and you want to plant the grapes, you have to have the right kind of soil. And this should make us think right away, right, of Jesus when he preaches on what kind of ground are you? You know, the good ground. Are you stony ground? Are you thorny ground? Are you not even in the ground where you're just scattered on top of the ground and the birds come and eat the seeds? The right kind of ground is critical for plant health. There are different ways to plant grapes, right? You can, like, plant the cuttings um, or you can plant the seeds, uh, or you can actually take the actual plant itself that's cleaned off of everything and put it in the ground. There's multiple ways to grow, to grow grapes. Uh, but it, it's a long, it's a very long process. And, and once you choose your method, then it, it can take up to three years for vines to start to produce grapes. And in the first two years, you have to do a lot of pruning to get everything just right for when the grapes start, start to grow. And I want anyone to think I was picking on Jeanette. If you could do the same thing with beer... I would be by that tree like all day, right? Shantae found this great IPA. If I were to throw that bottle in the ground, I'd be around the tree drinking that IPA all, all, all day. So I'm not picking on Jeanette. I'm, I'm, I'm not right there with you. And for some of you, it could have been chocolate, right? Can I just throw this Hershey bar and I can just grow this chocolate tree. But you have to do a lot of pruning to get everything just right for when the grapes start to grow. And you need to prune or else you won't get what you need, as pruning has a direct effect on grape production. And conditions have to be right for the grapes to grow. And this can be a tedious and a time-consuming thing to do because, like, especially if you have a vineyard, right, not just a small patch in your backyard. And the vine dresser has to prune constantly because branches that aren't bearing good grapes have to be cut so that the new branches can grow with better fruit. Sometimes the whole branch might need to be cut off, and sometimes pieces of a branch might need to be cut off. And the reason for all this, brothers and sisters, is life. The fruit growing from the branches attached to the vine have to be healthy. And even healthy branches need pruning from time to time in to, to help proper growth and production. And using this sort of example, right, Jesus is that vine upon which all of the branches grow. We are the branches 
Jesus is the vine, and God the Father, in this, the way he explains it here, is the vine dresser. He's the one doing all of the pruning. And pruning, we could say here, would be analogous to proper cultivation. St. Augustine put it like this, God's cultivation of us makes us better. His cultivating consists in getting rid of all the seeds of wickedness from our hearts, in opening our hearts to the plow, as it were, of his word, in sowing in us the seeds of his commandments, and in waiting for the fruits of godliness. It's worth noting here that pruning involves removing what is dead, because what is not attached to Christ is dead. It is dead. And those bits that are cut off are thrown into the fire, and they are burned. And being thrown into the fire might sound harsh, brothers and sisters, but if the branch isn't removed, if it's sick or infected or bugs or whatever, it could infect the rest of the plant. And then there would be no point to the branch remaining on the vine if it was dead anyway, as there's no connection to life. As the epistle to the Hebrews reminds us, those whom God loves, he chastens. Now let's talk a little bit about abiding. Well, actually... Let me talk a little bit more about pruning. So, uh, do we have any gardeners in here? Any gardeners, Ray? Ha- is there any time you'll find like, something growing that looks like it might actually be healthy, but in fact is sick and it needs to be cut off? What kind of like tree would you see on there? You can have a weed that looks like a plant. Okay, yeah. Okay, so you, you, you can have a weed that looks like a plant, and that can make us think of the, 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 the parable Jesus told of the wheat and the tares, right? Tares look like wheat. It grows up right next to the wheat, and then it's only once you, you cut it all down and sift it that the tares are removed, and then the wheat can be processed, and you can use the wheat for what it is, but the tares you cast into the fire. And so sometimes things that look healthy, in fact, are not. Things that look good can, in fact, be bad. And the vine dresser, God is the vine dresser. Because God knows. He knows better than we do. God, the vine dresser, will then prune those pieces that are bad, those pieces that might look good but are unhealthy. And I think that's very analogous to the church, brothers and sisters. Because you can have a church that might look healthy. You could have a church that might look good. But if the church is no longer connected to the vine, if it is no longer connected to the life-giving Christ, then what good is it? It's good for nothing but to be cast into the fire. Let's talk about abiding. Everyone's like, thank you, stop talking about pruning. It's making me uncomfortable. Jesus says here that we are to abide in him. Christ is, as the scriptures say, our life. Christ, I think St. Paul says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, right? Christ is our life. His life is our life. His life is what grants us new and eternal life, but only in as much as we are connected to him. For us to be truly alive, we first have to be attached to the vine, as the vine is where the nourishment is going to come from. We cannot bear good fruit on our own because on our own we have no source of life to draw from, only death. 
St. Cyril of Alexandria notes that the holy begotten word of God imparts to the saints, that's you and me, a likeness of his own nature and the nature of God the Father by giving them the spirit as they have been united to him through faith and through holiness. It is in Christ, the vine, that we are attached as Christians, right? Christians, little Christ, right? Without our being attached to the vine, we have no new and eternal or lasting life. We share by grace in the blessings of God as our conversion unites us with Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you might be saying, okay, that sounds nice, Pastor Mike. We're to abide in Christ and stay connected to the source of life. That sounds amazing. Well, how? How do you do that? How do you stay connected to the source of life? Well, the first step is to actually be connected in the first place. John writes in his epistle, in chapter 4, 15 and 16, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And so we know, brothers and sisters, that this is what happens at our, our, our baptism. Our conversion is where St. Paul says, those who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When we are brought into Christ, we're Christ we put on Christ, like kind of like a robe, right? We are clothed in Christ. We are delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God. And this is the first step in the journey of our lifelong conversion to Jesus Christ. Because, brothers and sisters, our conversion is not just a momentary thing. It's not just me having the baptismal font and pouring water and then laying my hands on the child and blessing them and setting them apart. That's part of the journey. But that's exactly what it is. A journey and salvation in our culture is framed as bring people to either a moment of decision where they have to raise their hand and come to the front and make a repentance or we doing it old school like we do and actually baptizing babies into the kingdom of God trusting in just that or trusting in just that prayer and then going and living our lives exactly as we had before we had the experience or not raising our children in the fear of the Lord. And that's hard. It's hard because we're here at church for an hour. If I preach long, we have communion, an hour and 20 minutes. Some of you are like, well, I've timed you before, and you've once went like an hour and 45. <laughs> and so you better get this over with because the buffet's closing. No. I think the buffet closed anyway, so we're all good, permanently. But our conversion is a lifelong process. The New Testament says, I, I have been saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. I remember many years ago, I was living in South Africa, the megachurch I worked for. We did outreaches to high schools. Because, yeah, it's a little bit different there. You can do that, I guess. And, and it was right across the street from the church, too, so it was really convenient. It this massive church, the street, a couple of houses, and then a, a big high school. And uh, I remember we went in, and um, I was in my late teens, early 20s maybe, and uh, we you know, had a concert for the, the kids, and um, we had like these sessions where we sit outside and talk with like groups of kids, 
And I remember one girl, she said to, our, to the leader, I, was, I wasn't the leader of the group, I was just helping out. And she said to the, the leader of the group, she says, you guys came here last year. And she said, and this is, I'll never forget this. She said, you came here, I listened to what you have to say. And I raised my hand and I said the prayer and asked Jesus into my heart. And then nothing changed. So why should I listen to you now? And that's because, brothers and sisters, we framed the Christian life as a moment of conversion that we then just go and just live our lives as we normally would. And we've forgotten, we've forgotten what it actually means to be in Christ, to be children of God. The weight that comes with that. Because when that happens, we are not our own. And if you ever baptize your children, you better be sure you're going to raise them in the faith. Get off that soapbox there, I guess. I'm sorry. So we abide in Christ by first being connected to Christ. This is the first step. Those who belong to Jesus abide in God and have come to know God's love and how that love was expressed through the sending of his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We heard that read this morning, that he was the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice. The other way that we know, or the other way that we abide in, in, in Christ, is by loving one another. And we come back to this theme we saw last week, and it, it'll be in here as long as we're reading through 1 John as well, in the epistles, readings as well as the Gospel of John, in the, in the Gospel readings, you see the theme of love all the time. Loving one another. John says, if we love one another, God abides in us, and we abide in God. And as we said last week, that love is modeled by the self-sacrificial giving of Jesus. That model is the basis for our own life of love and service to God and to each other. And this is all God's initiative, right? God is the primary mover. We can only love God and one another because he first loved us. And he didn't choose beforehand who he was going to love and who he was going to hate. Because scripture says God hates nothing that he has made and desires the salvation of all people. And loving one another and serving one another is the sign, right, if you want to put it that way, that the Spirit of God is in us, that we have been baptized into Christ, that we are truly in Christ. That the, the faith that we proclaim when we read the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed is actually something real in us, and it actually has real effects on how we live our lives as Christians. So at the beginning of this sermon, you're like, How's it, what does that have to do with God's glory? I'm glad you asked. So at the beginning, I talked about God being glorified and how that's been understood in parts of the Reformed tradition. But what we see here is, is different. St. John said in his gospel, we heard Ray read it, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And we remember, brothers and sisters, that perfect love, as we also heard, casts out fear. God's love should not instill fear in us, because it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. There is fear of judgment, yes. There should be fear of judgment to come. But if we are in Christ, we can be confident. John will say in his, 
in his epistle. When we stand before God, we can be confident because we are Christ's. Judgment should not instill fear in us because having that perfect love should cast that out. What, what brings God glory is not the condemnation of sinners, but seeing his sin-filled creation accepting to call, the call to follow Christ and in turn showing that love that God himself initiated back to God and to one another. And as we do this, we mature in the faith because we become less and less selfish and more prone to self-giving love. As we grow on the vine, as we bear fruit from good works, as we mature, God is glorified because the work began with him, gifted us by his son, enlivened within us by the Holy Spirit, continues. And this gives God glory, his human creations fully alive. What brings God glory is not the condemnation of the wicked, and that day is coming. But what, bring God, what brings God glory is that people come to know Christ. And then that knowledge, like we talked about last week, remember? Not, we talked about knowing love and knowing truth, that no, love and truth are working together. As those things work together in us, worked out through our good works for each other and for loving one another, God is glorified because it shows everyone that what we believe actually, I don't know, I don't want to say it like this because it sounds so utilitarian, in air, so I'm going to use air quotes, works. That's for people who listen to the audio and don't want watch the video or show up. That what we believe actually works, air quotes. That what we believe actually changes who we are. It actually shows something beyond us. St. Augustine said, such grace is from him and the glory is not ours, but his. And God is glorified when the grace he gives us, when the love he shows us. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is glorified when that moves us to repentance and when that moves us to abide in him through our self-sacrificial, self-giving love for one another, the way our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and his all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If you have a few minutes, I'd like to ask you to go to gofundme.com slash Zionstone Church Repair Fund. Our bell tower is in need of some major renovation and repairs, and we can use whatever help you're able to give to us. If you'd like to find out more about us, check us out on our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, or on our website, zionstoneucc.com. Thanks again for listening. I pray that these sermons will continue to strengthen you in your walk with Jesus Christ, and may the blessings of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you.